0: Welcome to the CoinGecko Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Young. Each week, we'll be interviewing someone from the blockchain industry to learn more about this fast-moving cryptocurrency economy. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The CoinGecko Podcast is produced each week to help you stay ahead of the curve. Show notes can be found at podcast.coingecko.com. I highly encourage you to join our newsletter where we send out top news in the crypto industry every Monday to Friday. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter and Telegram at Coingecko. Welcome to the Coingecko podcast. For today's episode, we have the honor of welcoming Professor Alexander Kuzmanovic, co-founder and chief architect of Bloxrealm. Thank you. Professor Kuzmanovic is a net neutrality expert and full professor in the Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science at Northwestern University. Professor Kusmanovic's work includes writing a TCP LP protocol deployed in Linux that allowed bulk data transfers without compromising performance and developing DDoS countermeasures deployed by Akamai, the world's largest cloud provider. Professor Kusmanovic co-founded Google's Measurement Lab Initiative for monitoring global net neutrality and national and the National Science Foundation awarded him with an NSF career award for his work on net neutrality. Welcome to the show, Professor.
1: Thank you so much again. Thank you. It's a great honor to be on this podcast.
0: Yeah, for our first question, maybe can you explain to us in your simplest manner, what is BlocksRoute and why is it important?
1: Yes, so BlocksRoute is, I like to say, the first layer zero blockchain system that helps scale all blockchain, right? And so basically layer zero means a networking layer, right? Because when we came to this field, Layer one was already taken by, it was called the consensus layer, layer two was on top of it. And we said, listen, you guys are missing one one extra layer. So it is a layer zero, it is a networking layer. And basically uh, what we are building is a thing called a blockchain distribution network. Uh, My uh, expertise and experience comes from the, the internet world and from content distribution networks. And basically what we can build is a blockchain distribution network, which is a network really specialized to improve the performance of blockchain, okay? And so uh, it is compatible with all blockchain systems that you can think of. And at the same time, it is compatible with all other layers, right? So if you have a very efficient layer one, for example, if you have some scalability solution here, well, it is going to work strictly better with a networking solution that, that lies uh, below it. So I'm not sure how effective my introduction was and, and explanation, but I hope we can dive a little bit deeper during the, the
0: talk. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, high level introduction to yes. Um You mentioned earlier about Blockstrap being a blockchain distribution network, BDN that basically utilizes, from my reading, a global network of servers optimized for network performance. So. Based on my understanding, it almost seems like BDN is similar in concept to the content delivery network CDN, is that correct?
1: That basically is a correct statement. So the common things are, we also have fairly a large number of distributed high-end servers around the world. And so we help push data quickly from uh, any of the endpoints to all other nodes in the system. In that context. Pretty similar to a content distribution network. However, what is different is contrary to the content distribution network, they're sending data. where basically the network itself is fairly transparent to the data that is sending. Here, we add a piece of software to the endpoint. This is called a gateway. And the whole purpose of a gateway a software on the endpoints, which exists in the BDN but doesn't exist in the CDN, is to basically adjust. Uh, the communication messages and data sent in a blockchain system to convert messages from the blockchain world into, into the blocks out messages and at the same time to push the caching of the data all the way to the endpoint. In in content distribution network, the caching happens at the edge server. Here in our case, we push this caching all the way to the end host. And this is very important because the last mile is the critical one and has if we have our gateways deployed all the way to the endpoints, we are able to significantly improve the performance of the system.
0: From my reading, I understand that blocks will cache things such that 100 times less data is required to be sent out to the network. So that's how things get like, speed up. But like 100x improvement is a large improvement, right? Like, instead of sending 100 megabyte, you're only sending one megabyte. How do you do that? Like, what's the secret?
1: Basically, the key observation is contrary to the content distribution effort, where when somebody is sending a, a movie, somebody is broadcasting a movie, that content is pretty unique. And it's hard to predict what it's going to be. And hence, yes, it's hard to compress or do. I mean, people do some compression techniques and stuff like that, but that has its limitations. If you compress by 1.5 or 2x, that's pretty good result, right? So the question is how do we even go to this larger place? Of compression. So basically, the key observation here is that data in a blockchain system is fairly fairly deterministic and it's repeatable. What that means is that transactions are first sent within a system in general, independently of a blockchain system that you're using. And then at some point you have validators or miners who put these transactions in blocks and then decide on their order and send them into the network. This is the basics of blockchain. So basically, the key observation is that the data is sent twice. Once you send transactions, and then the second time you're sending these transactions within a block. This creates a huge opportunity for caching, right? Because if you can transmit these transactions to everybody in the system efficiently and cache and use identifiers, short identifiers for these transactions, for example, in Bitcoin or for example, in Ethereum, a transaction could be, for example, 500 bytes, right? Internally, what we do is we represent these 500 bytes with four bytes. Okay, so this is more than 100x improvement. And so, when a block is sent in a blockchain system, instead of sending the original transaction, we utilize this short identified. And hence, for every transaction that is 500 bytes long, we send just four bytes. Mm-hmm. And hence, if a block is like 100 megabytes long, in the real world, if the raw block is such so big, in our world, it becomes much smaller. It becomes less than one megabyte. And hence, we utilize this significant redundancy in the data that typically exists pretty strongly in blockchain systems to basically move on and significantly reduce the amount of data Plus, we send this data more efficiently, uh, we utilize better networking parts, and there are different components of our system that makes it far more efficient, but these are the basics. And hence, we utilize this network-wide caching uh,
0: for blockchain. So essentially, it's like, instead of sending in the block, there's usually the, the header and then a bunch of transactions. Instead of sending all the full transactions, which is 500 bytes each, you represent it as a four byte. But wouldn't this mean that the structure of the block is already changed then.
1: Just a moment. So basically, this is the type of data that happens between gateways and within the block's output. However, the gateway sits next to, to the blockchain node, right? And so when the blockchain node talks to, to our gateway, it looks like it's talking just to another peer. And hence, the fact that our gateway compresses the data, sends that to the network, decompresses on the other end, is completely invisible to the blockchain system. It is completely transparent to the blockchain systems. However, in the background, what we are doing is we are making things far more efficient. Compression may not be the best word here because typically compression, uh, of course, means uh, reducing the amount of data, but people use this term in different domains differently. So maybe it's not the best term, but basically it's shortening the amount of, uh, shrinking the amount of data that needs to be sent to uh, to the network.
0: It feels like I'm talking to like a real-world uh, pipe piper from the Silicon Valley show about uh, compressions having like a high throughput, high output in their internet.
1: Yes, this is why I'm trying to make a kind of a, to explain that we are using no fancy, advanced uh, compression techniques people use in different domains. This is far more simple, but far more efficient. Because I mean, tell me another field where you can do more than one hundred x compression. I mean, that's not easy to get. So we are utilizing this natural feature of the blockchain system in order to make this happen. So
0: currently on Ethereum, it has a transaction capacity of about nine transactions per second or nine TPS. When blocks right goes on a full capacity on Ethereum, like what would be the theoretical and maybe I should say the practical TPS output that can be achieved?
1: So basically we had uh, our experiments with Bitcoin Cash because this is the first blockchain system that we started. working with. Be grateful to the Bitcoin Cash community because they're very supportive and they are the kind of folks that like to talk about the large blocks and so on. So there we had experiments with a large number of nodes on three continents and we were capable of pushing the TPS to more than 1,500 TPS. On Ethereum, I mean, we did some tests internally on the testnet, and we are capable of pushing, I think, close to 1,000 or so, but it really depends so basically, Ethereum can scale easily up to 1,000 transactions, I think, currently, and even more down the road, and without anything like Ethereum 1.0 can do that right now. So we are working with the largest mining pools on Ethereum. Once we deployed our gateways on these miners, uh, after some time, they increased the block size by 25%. And so while we were not on that table when like this was decided, we feel that. But well, we gave confidence to the community that indeed it's possible to increase the block size without risking any of the security and centralization. Factors.
0: When will this go live? Like I understand you guys are working with Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, Ontology. Uh, I'm trying to send a transaction on Ethereum and the gas fees are way high. I'm trying to pay with two Gwei, but it takes like, I don't know, it's been two days and it still doesn't go ahead with this transaction. So I'm looking forward to 1000 TPS Ethereum.
1: So basically, the key idea behind Bloxrout is to push for scalability. Once there is a lot of capacity, this is when the cost of sending a transaction on Ethereum goes down, and this, we believe, is the key force that should help Ethereum or any other blockchain to, to scale. Now, regarding the deployment, currently, we support the Ethereum mainnet. If you want to send a transaction to BoxRoute, you just go on our webpage, you download uh, open source code, you install it on your miner and you can basically send a transaction. This is one way to do it. Another way is, if you just have a wallet and you don't want to install a gateway associated with a node, you can simply install a, a small code in your wallet which helps you directly send a transaction to our network without getting any gateway or any node no, any, any node. This is very useful. Uh, Regarding other blockchain systems, we are also supporting Bitcoin Cash. On top of that, we are working uh, hardly on ontology, and that is going to come pretty soon. And on top of that, we have uh, other blockchains uh, lined up. So we are open-minded, and we are happy to work with any uh, blockchain system that wants to scale, that needs to scale, and that has enough of the ecosystem that we feel uh, is going to be successful down there.
0: Let's go back to the example of Ethereum, right? I literally tried to do this transaction. I wanted to withdraw uh, some of this DeFi protocol and I was using Metamask. So, And I tried to send a transaction with some like, low gui but it cost like $6, $10 in like, smart contract uh, transaction fee. So I like, reduced it to like two gui and it's still like $4 or so. How do I use Metamask and connect to Bloxroute and send this transaction with very low gas fee?
1: basically in order to send a uh, transaction through blocks route the endpoint software needs to be blocks out compatible that means currently what we do is if you have a mining node uh, you can simply just install an open source software if you have any type of open source wallet or anything like that you can just take a snippet of code from our web page and put it in your application and you should be able to connect directly to our servers and send transactions directly to us. Currently, things are all completely free, so now is the best time to actually do it. So basically, this is how it works.
0: I feel that it's more relatable for miners, but not really for the end user who's using...
1: I mean, you're correct. However, because we figured out that there is a large community out there that doesn't really care about mining or doesn't even have a mining node, but still would like to take this opportunity, this is why we have enabled this small piece of code that you can put in your application, that you can embed in your application. It's very simple to kind of merge with your application and then you can send things directly to us without even going through anybody else. At the same time, if you're, for example, on Ethereum, if you're using Infura or anybody uh, like that, you're working with these providers, there you can, for example, just select uh, BlocksRoute as an option. This is coming up pretty soon. And then once you do that, your transactions are directly uh, routed through BlocksRoute. So what will
0: it take for like, I guess, the key thing to scale Ethereum to 1000 TPS would be to get more miners involved. And then all of these miners have to install this code. If they don't install this code, then Ethereum will not be able to scale. So it's kind of like you got to get the buy-ins from all these miners, all these miners Correct. to install and to scale Ethereum, right? It's kind of very bottoms up uh, approach.
1: Yes, we understand that. And this is why we started working with miners from day zero. And basically, currently, we are supporting um, believe more than 70% of the mining rate uh, on Ethereum. So we have the largest mining pools, like a Spark Pool, Active Pool, uh, Intermine. And we are also talking to others because actually, it appears that we are capable of helping even more the smaller mining pool, right? Because if you are a large mining pool, uh, we improve them. However, the smaller ones are even more disadvantaged and then having smaller mining pools deployed is beneficial. And so we are definitely working hard on increasing the number of miners that we're working with. At the same time, we are working with the end users, with, distributed, uh, with aggregators such as Impura and others, right? With uh, large trading firms and whoever has any reason to send transactions on-chain. And so once we have a sufficient amount of deployment, this is when the things can start moving up. What would
0: be that cutoff point that you need 50% adoption or 60,
1: 70%? There is no magic number. The more, the better. And actually, the system can still operate quite well, even if you don't have the full deployment. It can move up. However, at some point, if you really want to push the system all the way to the high TPS rate, then those who really want to be part of that high-scale system would need to, to deploy Box now.
0: Where are we right now? Are we at 20% deployment, 50% or like maybe?
1: Currently, in terms of the hash power, we have more than 70% of the hash power. On Ethereum? Yeah, on Ethereum. And so this is really, we think a pretty good number. And at the same time, we are working hard on uh, bringing in more transaction generating uh, entities that will be wallets, that will be aggregators, and many other entities, so that we can actually the whole community can move to this better position, which is higher transaction per second rate, which is good for everybody. Everybody is benefiting at uh, when the system is is scalable. So this basically is is issue.
0: So if we are at seventy percent deployment for Ethereum miners, does that mean that like? Ethereum is no longer, uh, has the higher transaction limit right now. It's no longer 90 TPS, but maybe like, I don't know, 200 TPS already at this point in time.
1: Uh, so that really depends on the on the miners. Miners are the ones who can decide how and when to increase the, the block size up, up to some limit. And so I think easily this can go even right now with this level of deployment of box route, I think it can go easily to double or triple that number without any problems. However, to push forward, it would be great to have even more, uh, even larger deployment of miners because then nobody's left behind. And miners have no uh, barrier of, of entrance. The, our code is open source. We charge miners nothing. And so it's really a very simple game in our mind.
0: My next question actually is, if every miner is connected to BloxRout's PDN through this gateway that you talk, every node is connected to the gateway, wouldn't this represent some sort of a centralization risk to the entire ecosystem?
1: We get this question a lot and we keep explaining that that's not the case. Let me explain how it works. So basically, indeed, we recommended that the nodes connect to blocks out because blocks out is the fastest stuff. However, we do not tell uh, the miners or we, we do not advise anybody to say, hey, don't connect to others. We still need a peer-to-peer network. However. Peer-to-peer network is needed as an auditing tool to kind of you still need a backup, right? And so basically the peer-to-peer network is needed to have the guarantees that even if blocks route goes down or something happens, you can still have things going through. So think of blocks route as just like improving the existing peer-to-peer network without getting rid of the peer-to-peer network itself. And this makes nodes independent from blocks route. And they have failover paths, so in case things go wrong for the technical reasons, they can still have their box sent, and so the system still survives independent of blocks now. So block route is not a single point of failure, and at the same time, it is only providing an improvement over an existing system, which we don't change in any way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like thinking a bit. You say like a faster peer in the list of peer-to-peer nodes, right?
1: Yeah faster future, but you don't recommend that you abandon all other people. We just say, hey, this is great, and you can only benefit from this, but still you have backup thoughts, you have all these other routes, and hence it is a compromise that still gives you a better performance, but you're not giving up the kind of peer-to-peer and decentralized nature of a blockchain system. I mean, in short, this is how, it, how it,
0: is there anyone else working on layer zero solutions, like what you guys are doing right now? Or you guys are only getting...
1: There are people providing um, strictly better networking kind of uh, support for blockchains. Like, hey, you know what, if you are, for example, uh, in a part of the world that is not very well connected to the rest of the world, if you use uh, least parts or something like that, you can experience better performance and stuff like that. Now. What I wanna say about BoxRound is that we are not, I mean, we are layer zero and we are networking solution, but we are not strictly a networking solution. We are basically because there is a lot of so-called magic happening in the background, right? All the caching, all the hard work, all the synchronization of data. It's not simply let's have a better network. That doesn't give you scale at all, right? To get to scale, you have to do a much bigger work. Which is you need to quickly transmit transactions to the system, you need to cache them at the endpoints. Then when blocks are sent, you need to compress them to again send them throughout. So networking is absolutely, impo- I mean, I'm 100% a networking person, that's where I, my expertise is from. But it's not just networking, it's more like kind of a smart networking in a cloud. Right, It's smart things in the background that you need to do versus simply speeding up the data. Speeding up the data is great, but it has its limitations. What are your
0: thoughts about layer one and layer two scalability solution? Which solution do you think uh, will bring the highest impact in increasing each blockchain transaction output?
1: There are many creative things on, on layer one, layer two. And typically when people ask me, so are these your competitors? Are, they, are you competing against them? I'm saying no. I mean, we at layer zero are capable of strictly improving the performance and helping any other solution. Is it layer one or layer two? It doesn't matter, right? And so there are obviously some pretty good solutions. People are talking about sharding. I think that is coming pretty soon. I mean, in such a form. And of course, that's it's an interesting approach. There are these layer two solutions where you put out some coins on the side and then you do off-chain transactions. All of these things make sense. And I'm not against, I mean, typically in the blockchain world, I realize that people are very opinionated and they like to say, no, 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 my solution is the best, not somebody else's. I mean, we are ourselves, we are not a blockchain at all. And so we are a system to help scale other blockchains. If these blockchain systems are already quite advanced, more advanced than the first generation blockchain systems like Bitcoin, for example, we have now, ontology you have conflux i mean we are working with these projects they already have a pretty advanced layer one some even layer two uh, approach but when i come to them i tell them that's all great good luck with that i mean we really like what you're doing however the generic problem is you still have transactions that you need to transmit to distributed nodes and then you have blocks that need to somehow reach everybody has to be uh, synchronized on what is happening in the system. And to do that, you really, really do need a really strong networking cloud solution, which is basically what we are providing. And
0: you guys currently support Bitcoin or is there somewhat in the plan to support Bitcoin, blockchain and the next? Uh,
1: well, basically, Bitcoin itself, of course, is the, and the most valuable whatever cryptocurrency and blockchain. We, of course, initially started working with Bitcoin Cash at the time, then they fought for Bitcoin because they were the ones pushing for scalability. Bitcoin community is more focused on like, this proof of value type of idea. They're saying, we don't want to scale on chain. Uh, uh, basically, we can have layer two and other things to scale that stuff. And so basically we're compatible with Bitcoin and basically we run our nodes against Bitcoin because it's a very, very well-structured, well-organized blockchain and hence we check the, how well we are doing by simply measuring ourselves against Bitcoin. However, for political, ideological or philosophical reasons, they're not into uh, blockchain scaling and we, we respect that, but we there are many, many other blockchains that say, hey, we do need blockchain scaling. And so we go after and we collaborate with those who, who believe that having a scalable blockchain at layer zero is fundamental.
0: I believe you guys have blocksrock token called BLXR, right? What would be its token model? What blockchain will the token be issued on? And how will it work when you guys have this scalability solution across these various different blockchains?
1: Yes. And this is an interesting thing. We are not a blockchain ourselves, but we are a blockchain company. And then we were thinking like, hey, we're a blockchain company, we need to have a token. What blockchain company doesn't have a token? So basically our approach was to simply have a security type of token and that all the revenues, the idea is there is a, a fixed number of BLXR tokens ever, like 10 million BLXR. And then all the revenues from all the different blockchain systems that we are serving and all the revenues that we collect hundred percent of those revenues are directly streamlined to the holders of the BLX article and so it's very very simple so if you own for example ten percent of the BLX article and in one day we earn ten bitcoins you immediately earn one bitcoin on the same day it immediately directly goes to your pocket and you can do with that whatever you like and so it is a simple dividend based model where the holder of the token is getting directly, not profits, because when you have a company, then the company has its own bills to pay and stuff like that, and has uh, shareholders uh, actually, at the end of the of the year, share the profits. Here, the revenues created by a block's BDN network directly to the holders of it. So it's a very, very simple and very transparent system. And so... That's the key idea behind the BLXR
0: and how would the BLXR token gain revenue so like if you use the blockchain network, you have to pay some sort of fee
1: currently our our system is completely free to use, however we are going to to have a two tier system where if you are sending small number of transactions then if you're just an individual user and uh, you don't generate a lot of traffic, then it's completely free forever okay however, if you are for example, more than 100 transactions a day, this is when a tiny P comes into play. And so basically, this is how we gain revenues from all our blockchain systems that we serve. And then those revenues are directly tunneled to the holders of our token and hence they can decide to keep it on their accounts or just take and then do whatever they like with their money.
0: And when it's paid, like it's paid in a BLXR token, I suppose, right? So if there's a fee to pay, uh, you'll be paid. No, in- no, no,
1: no, no, no. The fee can be paid in any currency. It can be in the native currency of that particular token. You can pay it in US dollars. It's really independent from, uh, it's, it's not paid in, in BLXR for sure. So BLXR is just an account that holds all these different currencies. And then you're free to do whatever you like in real time with that money.
0: And will this BLXR token be traded on some exchange at some point, or is this it because it's a security, it's only limited to? So we
1: had this discussion. We were founded in two thousand seventeen, and ever since we had a lot of our intent from the very beginning was to make all this hundred percent legal, so that people don't think like, oh, I have this token, is it legal? Is it not legal? Whatever. And it, very soon we figured out that this is going to be a utility token, right? And hence, this is how it is structured. And so basically, currently we had uh, several rounds of token sale. However, this was a reggae sale, hence yes, it was only for accredited investors. We are working hard and we hope that sometimes in the future we are going to be able to offer a reggae type of a sale, which would uh, enable us to sell the token to the wider community and you don't have to be a credit investor or anything like that. And regarding the where it could be traded, there are a few exchanges already were working with uh, the security type of tokens. And so we are going to be trading there. And I think the trade is going to start within one year or so.
0: Yeah, it sounds like uh, what the Blockstack guys are doing. They, they did a REC A plus uh, save as well. And then yes,
1: they were pioneers in that domain. And, and we talked to them. And I mean, we understand the way they did things. Uh, we think that REC A plus can be even better than that can be even more or less restricted and more open. And so we are hopeful that we will be able to get there because our idea is to make this available to everybody. This is how we think we can strengthen our position so people can actually see benefits from investing in us.
0: It sounds very interesting. So um, maybe one last question is like, what is the plan for Blockstrung in 2020 and
1: beyond? In 2020 and onwards, so basically, Currently, we are really focused on Ethereum because, of course, there are so many different blockchains that we are working with. However, we really want to kind of close the circle on Ethereum. And what that means is that in addition to having already 70% of the miners, we want to push that boundary to above 90% at least of the hash power on Ethereum. And on top of that, we really are into getting clients. Getting clients means getting DApps, getting aggregators, getting really the whole Ethereum community on block. This is really our primary goal. On top of that, we are also uh, working closely currently with ontology. We are about to, I think, release our network for ontology sometime during the year. This is definitely the case. We are working in the uh, also with some other blockchains. Uh, these are. Corum, Conflux, and a few others. And so our goal is to thus keep pushing and getting, I mean, we're not really that interested in supporting each and every blockchain out there because different blockchains have different data, and not everybody is, is equally advanced. But those who reach, who we believe reach a threshold of becoming a real thing, that can really attract a lot of users and can generate a lot of traffic, these are the ones that we are interested in moving forward with but in principle, we are open-minded to and open to all all blockchains.
0: That's very exciting. Looking forward to seeing all these plans come to fruition uh, this year. So, okay, last question from Is No More after yes, this. Yes. Someone's interested to learn about blocks route. What's the best place to follow and learn more?
1: The best way to learn about blocks, come to our web, website. We have a quite good cool videos, short videos about hey, this is how blocks works. Then there are pretty good. Uh, short presentations, maybe 20, 25 minutes, where you can see Uri uh, talk about, I talk about, or Eleni talk about out, And so just watch one of those talks, and things are going to be much clearer for you or that's the case. In addition, we also have this kind of educational videos, right? So we have our developers are going to talk about some feature of out and so on. So we are really trying hard to kind of uh, Reach out to the broader community. So, I mean, not everybody is technology oriented, but we wanna kind of s- simplify it so people don't have to waste a lot of time, but still get a pretty good sense of what it is that we are doing and what what we're
0: up. Yeah, uh, I agree. Like I watched some of the videos on the site, uh, was really confused about what Blockstrat does, and after watching it, is it's really uh, easy to understand what you guys are doing. So, I'll add all these links in the footnote. Uh, Professor Alexander Smalowicz, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the CoinGecko Podcast. I think I definitely learned a lot. I hope all of you learned this <laughs> as well.
1: Thank you. It was a great pleasure and I look forward whenever you, whenever you have any big news, I'm
0: happy to come and tell you about it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you very much again. Right. Thank you. All right, that wraps up the show. Thank you for listening to the CoinGecko Podcast with Bobby. If you like our show and want to know more, check out podcast.coingecko.com or please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any feedback, do drop us an email at hello at coingecko.com. Join us for more next week. See ya! This podcast is provided as part of the overall information on cryptocurrency contained on our website, is for your general information only, and does not howsoever constitute any endorsement, financial or investment advice, nor any solicitation or offer of securities or other financial instruments. CoinGecko and the podcast presenter makes no warranties implied or expressed of any kind in relation to this podcast, including, without limitation, the accuracy and updatedness of its content. All opinions and recommendations there in the podcast are based on the personal opinion of the presenter. Please conduct your own research and procure professional advice should you, at your own risk, decide to howsoever invest or trade in relation to the content contained in the podcast.